Mark opens his gospel by claiming that Jesus is the Son of God. And for the first 14 chapters, Jesus proves that he is the Son of God. Now, he not only heals people, he calms a storm, and he does great miraculous things showing his goodness and his love. He is the Messiah that Israel was waiting for. But he was never called king. I mean, not until chapter 15, where in verse 2, Pilate says, Are you the king of the Jews? Now, Jesus was referred to as, as king throughout this chapter, but in Rome, there was only one king. That was Caesar. And anyone who would oppose himself up against Caesar deserved death. They were a traitor to the Roman government and deserved to die. Jesus here, throughout the chapter, is treated as a king. But too often, it's cruelly and ironically. But the irony leads to his glory, and the cruelty shows his goodness. That Jesus is the king. Now, throughout Mark, Jesus is, is very active as he, as he heals and he travels and he goes from place to place. It's the fast-paced gospel where you see Jesus do many great things. And in Mark 15, the crowning moment, the climax of the story, Jesus almost flips a switch and becomes passive. In 56 of the sentences in Mark 15, Jesus is the object of the verb. Things are happening to him rather than he being active himself. Jesus is condemned, he's bound, he's led, he's handed over, he's accused, he's flogged, he's beat, he's delivered, he's mocked. There's a crown of thorns set on him. They struck him, they spit on him, they insulted him, and they crucified him. Where you expect the hero of the story to, to rise to the occasion, Jesus almost seems to shrink back. This isn't the typical king who you'd see be active in these moments, but instead... He surrenders because Jesus is the king who submits. There's no big speech. There's no big movement that occurs. Imagine if in your favorite rom-com that the, the end of the movie, the, the man comes and he's, he's ready to do this great romantic gesture and he walks up to the girl and, and your heart starts pounding as the mu music increases. And then... He does nothing. Or in Braveheart, if William Wallace gave a great speech about how they can take our lives, but they can never take our freedom, and then he just lets the British army kill him, mow him down without even fighting back. This is Jesus in Mark 15. As time he, after time, he allows the Romans, the religious leaders, and the soldiers to beat him, and to crucify him. Because Jesus is a king who not only acts when he needs to, he submits and surrenders when he's called to. Because Jesus is the king who submits, even if it costs him his life. Now, Mark 15 starts with the religious leaders and uh, bringing Jesus to Pilate. Now, the religious leaders knew that he, they couldn't condemn Jesus to death. Only the Romans could do that. Pilate quickly sniffs out that the, these leaders are acting out of self-interest and jealousy. So he brings Jesus and he questions him, but he's amazed and confused because Jesus doesn't defend himself. 
He just, again, allows the defendant or the, the religious leaders to accuse him and to set him up to be crucified. A crowd shows up because each year, Pilate would release one prisoner on this Jewish holiday of Passover. Now, Pilate saw this as his opportunity to free Jesus. He thinks, okay, well, they know the stories about Jesus, how he's healed people, how he's good, and he'll, they'll probably sniff out the religious leaders as well. But the religious leaders quickly rouse the crowd to, to release Barabbas instead of Jesus. Now, Barabbas was the leader of an insurrection. He was fighting for the freedom of the Israelites. He opposed the Roman government. This was a man that they could get behind, someone who would fight for their freedom, whereas Jesus surrendered. Barabbas was a man who'd even murder to help his cause go forward, but Jesus would surrender the point where he would be murdered so that others could be freed. The crowd calls for Barabbas to be freed, and, and Pilate, in his confusion, says, well, what should I do with Jesus? Crucify him, they call. Crucify him. That cross was meant for Barabbas. The guilty Barabbas would be freed, but the innocent Jesus would be condemned. The innocent would ki king would be killed instead of the guilty. Uh, Pilate then has uh, Jesus flogged, and that's taking him on, ties him to a post where they expose his back and, and whip him over and over and over again with a whip that had multiple prongs with bone or lead on it that would bruise his back, that would rip his skin off and, and lead him, leave him with an inch of his life in a pool of blood. This wasn't the end of the torture as a whole company of soldiers takes Jesus and, and they mock him as their king. Now, a company of soldiers wasn't just a handful of men. A company of soldiers could have been 600 men, 600 soldiers, hardened people who had killed as they followed Roman rule. Now, it may not have been actually been 600 people. Mark might have just meant a large portion of soldiers, but it wasn't just a few people. It was many who, who put a robe over Jesus and mocked him as king and set a crown of thorns on his head. They didn't realize that the thorns illustrated sin. If you read Genesis 3, the thorns are a symbol of sin and evil entering the world. Jesus is the king in Mark 15 who would defeat evil. He'd be the king who opposes sin once and for all and takes that judgment on himself. But they beat him and mock him and spit on him over and over and over again until they either get bored or have to go on with their daily duties. And then Jesus is led to be crucified. Now, crucifixion was the cruelest form of punishment that, that anyone could go through. Roman citizens weren't even allowed to be crucified because it was so terrible. Mark Strauss said that it is a weapon of terror, a warning to the populace of the catastrophic consequences of challenging Roman authority. These crosses would be placed on, on road, uh, roads outside the city so that many people could see them and mock them and, and see this is what happens when you oppose yourself against Rome. And as Jesus exits the city, people mock him. A week earlier, he entered the city on Palm Sunday, where people praised him and said, he, Hosanna, and said he's, he's the coming Messiah, the one who's going to save them. 
Now they mock him as he actually is going to be fulfilling that role of Messiah. Jesus is nailed to the cross with with nails going through his hands between two criminals. Jesus lived among sinners. It's only right that he would die among sinners too. But he not only would die among them, he would die for them. Jesus lay on the cross gasping for breath as as you're crucified. You can't breathe completely unless you pull yourself up on the nails going through your wrists and through your hands and and nerves would be firing and pain would be going throughout the entire experience. The Romans didn't invent crucifixion, but they made it as long and torturous as possible. The religious leaders mocked Jesus saying in verse 30, he saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. It's like mocking a philanthropist for giving so much money away that that he went bankrupt. Jesus had saved others and they're mocking him for that because he lay there as a good, holy, perfect person, but he was dying on the cross. They mocked him because he couldn't save himself, even though he saved others. But the truth was, he could have saved himself. But he chose not to save himself so that he could save others. The king refuses to save himself so that others could be saved. This is Jesus' love, that he would choose to die so that we wouldn't have to. And we can see his love for me, his love for you as he hung on the cross instead of us. In 1 John 4.10, it says, This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. His son died so that we could be at one with God to cover our sins, to forgive us of everything we've done wrong. Jesus hung on that cross as an innocent man so that the guilty could be freed so that the guilty could have life. He faced the judgment that I deserve, the judgment that you deserved. In verse 33, it says, At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. This reminds of a prophecy that happened uh, hundreds of years earlier in Amos 8-9, where it also says, In that day, declares the Sovereign Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. The the day that Amos was talking about was the day of judgment, the day of evil, where all that would be face the judgment of God. God is just, so sin must be punished. And sin is throughout this passage. You can see envy and pride and indifference and cruelty and harm and betrayal and cowardice. But the one who's being judged is not the one who deserves it. See, the religious leaders deserve to be judged. The the Roman soldiers, the the Pilate, the people who walked by and, and mocked him. All of us who have done sin deserve the judgment of God. But Jesus chose to take that judgment on himself. And he took the full weight of sin and evil on that day. And in doing so, he destroyed its power, but took 
the physical and emotional weight of sin. That's why in verse 33, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Feeling the whole weight of sin and evil and God's judgment on those things on himself, even though he did not deserve it. This line, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It comes from Psalm 22. And Jesus is, is quoting that as there's multiple connections between Mark 15 and Psalm 22. So I encourage you to read those later today and, and see those connections and how, and how Jesus is fulfilling prophecy from the past. But in this moment, Jesus says this because he is feeling the full weight of sin. Not the sin that he deserved, not the weight that he deserved, but the weight that we deserved. And he took that on himself. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus was forsaken, so we wouldn't be. Jesus took the weight of sin so that we wouldn't have to be. And in verse 37, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. This is the, the creator of the world, the, the one who is good, the one who healed, the one who loved the poor and the sick. He breathed his last. But this wasn't a failure. And, and the next verse shows us that this is not a failure. In verse 38, it says, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. This isn't some cheap curtain. This was a curtain that was 80 feet high, ornately decorated, and about nine centimeters thick, ripped from top, 80 feet, to bottom. This curtain separated the holiest place of God, where God's presence was supposed to dwell, from, from anyone who would go in there, except for one person on one day after they did this really long and, and detailed cleansing process. But that curtain was ripped upon Jesus' last breath, showing that anyone now can come into the presence of God, not because of what we've done, not because we live a perfect life, because Jesus took the pain, took the judgment on himself and breathed his last. So we can come to God, be in his presence as he has made us righteous, as 2 Corinthians 5.21 said. The first witness of this is a soldier. In verse 38, it says, And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Remember, Mark, Mark started his, his whole biography of Jesus saying, Jesus is the Son of God. And here we have a centurion, one who'd pro probably seen hundreds, if not thousands of people killed before. On crosses, he was a guard for people who were being crucified. And this one was so different. Not just saying something's different here. Not just saying this is a great man. Not just saying that this is an unjust act. He saw how Jesus eyed, died and knew, surely this man was the Son of God. The creator of the universe. That means he's not just the king of the Jews. He's the king of everything. Everything is subject under his rule. And then he was placed in a tomb. The king was dead. 